In the darkest of times, there is hope. When all seems lost, there is faith. Just when evil seemed to prevail, there is the empty tomb. Because He lives, we can live too. No matter who you are, you can call out, cry out, because Jesus is alive. With today's message entitled, Angels at the Tomb, Examining the Spiritual Realm of Easter, here is Pastor Jim Scudder, Jr. I almost don't need to preach. Don't say amen to that, by the way. It's Easter, I'm preaching. It won't be a long message, but uh, on such such an important day to our faith, I think we need to talk about all these things that have happened. And we're going to take a little bit of a unique angle as we look at the resurrection. We're going to look at the supernatural, uh, the involvement in angels and demons in the story of the cross and the tomb. I've been writing a book on some of the struggles of life. Our family has gone with, through a number of hardships in the last, let's say, two and a half, three years. And I wrote a book, Why Life Hurts, which kind of helps us understand why bad things happen, why a good God allows bad things. But this is a, a follow-up, and it's, it's a larger book, and it's healing hurt. Like, how do we, how do we get past these, these things that happen in our life that cause pain, emotional, spiritual, physical pain? And um, I've been writing it for about a year, and I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm done except for the final chapter. I've got to write the final chapter, and I've been mulling over what I'm going to do with that final chapter for the last couple weeks. But part of the book deals with the loss of my dad, the one who founded our ministry. Many of you remember him, and he's passed away with the Lord for the last three years. Uh, He didn't have to go through the nonsense of the pandemic. He died just as all of that was starting. But I'm a little jealous of the fact that he is, uh, has his, uh, he doesn't have his his earthly body, his his cancer-filled body, uh, his uh, diabetic body. He has at least a temporary body. and one day we'll receive a permanent, glorified body that won't have any aches and pains. It won't groan when you get up. And uh, all of the problems that we have in our life. I wrote about my dad's passing, my mom, my sister, and myself in his hospital room. It all kind of came about rather quickly. But uh, he was within a few days put into hospice, hospice care in the hospital that he was uh, already sick in. And so we were sitting there not knowing how long he would have. It could be days. It could be hours. And I remember that dad used to tell a story of losing his dad, my grandfather, Isaac. And dad would say that as Isaac was in the hospital also suffering with cancer that Isaac was telling everybody about Jesus. And that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? But then as he drew his last breath, my dad 
told all the nurses, stop. And, and I want you to know something. Right now, there's angels in the room. At the moment that someone that has put their trust in Jesus dies, the Bible says that they're instantly with the Lord. And so he said, there's angels in the room. And, and although I can't find proof of that in the Bible, I certainly think it's probably true. There is an attendant as you are approaching death that will bring your soul, your spirit, instantly to the Lord in heaven if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we were sitting there with my dad, and it was literally only maybe just hours into our vigil, I noticed that his breath wasn't there anymore. His chest was no longer rising. And I said rather loudly, didn't mean to, I startled my mom and my sister. I said, angels are in the room. And they about fell off their chair. And sure enough, dad, soul, and spirit were gone. Angels in the room. Now, I want to talk about your last chapter. The last chapter of your life. The Bible begins with everything is good, everything is right, and then sin entered the world. And we see it around us, no matter all of the, the ideas and all of the policies and all the programs that we can implement and we try all these different things, we still find ourselves involved in wars, in, in violence, in, in all sorts of, of terrible things that are coming upon the world. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin entered the world and death by sin. And we find that a fallen angelic being was part of original sin in the garden. But then right after that, there was a promise to our ancestors, Adam and Eve, that God was going to do something to solve our sin problem. We've rebelled against him. We disobeyed. Your ancestors did, and that sin nature was passed upon you and me. And we sin. We've rebelled. We've gone astray. And you say, well, I'm a pretty good person. That's not the question. The question is, are you sinless? If you say, I'm sinless, you just lied. That's a sin. (laughs) All have sinned. Some good people, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. So, so we all are hopeless. We all are helpless. We all need a savior. And the promise was given in the garden that the serpent's head would be hit. That the serpent would, would bruise the heel of this promised one, this Messiah. But at that very moment that Satan was bruising the heel of what turned out to be Jesus, he, he was getting a head wound. What would you rather have? A blow to the heel or a blow to the head? Don't say neither. Okay? Uh, obviously, the head wound is going to be fatal, probably. And so it was. There was a, a spiritual uh, a battle brewing at the moment we sinned. And that battle has continued. 
Now, even though you can't see angels, and I'm going to be doing a series the next two Sundays, what does the Bible say about angels and demons? We find in Scripture lots of references to angels and demons. Demons are nothing but fallen angels. Lucifer isn't like, here's God and here's the devil. Uh, God created Lucifer as one of the angels, the highest angelic being, but still an angel. Lucifer fell, took a third of the angels with him, and there we have this cosmic galactic battle. And I'll just tell you this. When you, when you watch the news and you see some of the heinous things that happen, I think we all have to agree there's something nefarious. There's something on a spiritual, wicked spiritual level that's happening that would cause people to do some of these awful things that are done. We have to, we have to see that. Who can explain the Holocaust? I say the devil and the demons are part of this. Okay. All of these things. So we, we, we do recognize that there must be this happening. The Bible actually says it is. There's, there was a, a war going on in Daniel's day between the realms of darkness and the realms of light. So we know there are angels. We know there are demons. The angels may be present when we can't even see them. But every now and then we read about in the Bible an angel making a physical appearance. I love that. Just a few days before the resurrection, a few days before the cross, I believe a massive spiritual battle was taking place. Lucifer, the, the chief angel that had fallen, was trying to thwart God's plan of redemption. I believe Lucifer knew that this Jesus, born in Bethlehem as predicted, who fled to Egypt as predicted, who grew up in Nazareth as predicted, was indeed the Messiah, the one that was predicted, the one that was promised. But I think Satan said, I'm not going to allow this Messiah to actually live. I'm going to make sure I kill this Messiah. He devised a plan to have Jesus, God in the flesh, killed. His plan was going to use both the Jews and the Romans to accomplish his wicked plot. And then he was also going to use the gruesome torture device known as the cross. Little did he know that God was also planning on using the same gruesome torture device, the cross, except for his purpose of redemption. I would like to share with you Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. And it says, and you being dead in your sins. I'm just going to tell you this. This is the plight of all of us. We're all dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Hath he quickened. That word means made alive. So you're dead in your sins. And he, the Lord Jesus, has made you alive. Those that have received him. Together with him. Having forgiven you all trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Can you imagine the indictment? You know, we're kind of familiar right now with indictments. 
and there's a, a, a whole list of indictments. It's, it's all written down. You have an indictment against you. There's a piece of paper against you. All of those secret thoughts, all of those times when you didn't do the thing you should have done, all the times that you used a, a, a word or, or, or a, an inflection even with your spouse or your kids that, that you know was out of anger or out of jealousy or whatever, all of those things are written down. Now, how many of those papers do you have for some of us, it's a phone book. Me? You say, what's a phone book, right? <laughs> what is this world coming to? Okay, think about all of those things written down. And then the Bible says that if, you're, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you're made alive. And all of those handwritten uh, grievances against us are blotted out. Blotted out. What blots out those, those sins? It's Jesus' blood. Which was contrary to us and took it out of the way. Now this is crazy, but listen to this. Nailing it to his cross. It's as if all of those bad things that you've done are nailed to the cross of Christ. And then it says in verse 15, having spoiled principalities and powers. Anytime you find principalities and powers in the Bible, it's speaking of spiritual activity, angelic or demonic. In this case, demonic. Having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Think about the the spiritual battle that was taking place. Both thought the cross was going to be the the central theme of either winning or losing this spiritual battle. Satan thought he had won. The demons thought they had won. How do we know that Satan was involved and his demons were involved and responsible at least in, in good part for the crucifixion of Jesus? Well, look at Luke chapter 22 and verse 3. It says, Then entered Satan into Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. Now, did Satan possess? We know the Bible talks about demons possessing people. Did Satan literally possess Judas? Or did he just, like uh, like Saul had an evil influence come upon him? And uh, we don't know exactly what this means, but I, I, I feel like he probably was literally possessed. We know that demons can possess people. I'll explain that later in the series. Okay. But we, we see here in verse 4, he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. We see demonic activity right there. So we know that, that, that angels and demons were active during this time. One trying to scuttle God's plan, the other achieving God's plan. Little did Satan and the demons know That the cross, even with its gruesomeness, was actually God's plan all along. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. The princes of this world is another phrase that you can find that refer to uh, demons. Princes of this world. There's actually, the Bible says there's princes that are uh, attached to uh, government leaders. Okay, seriously. 
So uh, there, there's a lot going on, according to the Bible, and I believe it, that uh, are, is trying to steer the world in a certain way, especially in the way of wickedness. Now listen to this. So the princes of this world, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. By crucifying Jesus, the demonic realm thought they had won, but they actually had defeated themselves. The final chapter had been written when Jesus died, for that was the plan. The Bible actually predicted it, that he would be pierced, that he would hang upon a tree, that he would be betrayed, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. And as these things were happening, I'm surprised that the demons didn't stop and say, wait a second, we're fulfilling prophecy. If they would have known what they were doing, they would not have done it. So Jesus dies. Surely the, the Satan and, the, and his minions had to be rejoicing, had to be throwing a party, for they, had, they thought they had won. They had killed this so-called Savior. But then... Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. I wonder what angels look like. Well, here's an example. Here's an example of when they make an appearance, this is what you're going to see. For the fear of him, the keepers did shake. Remember, the, the Jews were worried that someone would steal the body and say he had resurrected, so they convinced Rome to put a guard this is a Roman guard. I mean, this was like, uh, no one's going to be able to, to trick or uh, uh, overpower a Roman guard. So these keepers, these, Roman, these Romans at the, at the tomb, became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, remember it was women that came to the tomb, Mary Magdalene as one, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. We returned from Israel about a month ago, and some of you came with us. We take tours every year. And I asked you this morning, I said, so has your perspective of Easter changed after you've been to the empty tomb? And they said, oh, yes. It's, it's so much better than we ever thought it would be. When you see the place where the Lord lay and it's empty. Luke gives this account when we look for angels at the tomb. In Luke 24, five, uh, 4 and 5, it says, And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth. They said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Some of the best lines are the lines the angels spoke at the tomb. <laughs> Come see the place where the Lord lay. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I mean, these are great lines. And then John gives his account. And you say, well, why are the accounts different? Sometimes they say one angel, sometimes two, sometimes inside the tomb, sometimes sitting on, on the stone outside the tomb. Remember, lots of things were happening at that time. And there's no contradictions in the Bible. And I did a series recently. It's called The Story of Jesus. If you go back and, and listen to the ones I did 
on uh, the, the different accounts of the resurrection, you'll find that they all do line up beautifully. But John says this in, in John 20, verse 11, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. How many of you have wept? How many of you have sorrowed? She thought this person was God, that he was Jesus, that he was going to be the one that would finally free them from the oppression of the Romans, of the Gentiles, of the people that were oppressing the Jews. And and then he is killed and she's weeping. She didn't come that morning to see if he had risen. She She came with some of the other women to anoint the body. And as she was weeping, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeing two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they had laid him. Full of emotion, full of tears, eyes probably swollen not thinking straight, not seeing straight. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener. Jesus had the ability to disguise his identity. We see it a couple times in the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And I think this is what's happening there. Plus she's not thinking straight, seeing straight. And this supposed gardener, who's actually Jesus, saith unto him, or she said to him, Sir, if thou have borne him, if you've taken him, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus reveals himself with his voice and with his, his sight, her sight. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. The name that you're given, when you hear that name, especially when it's Jesus, you know who it is. That one word, Mary, must have sent shivers through her. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. We think of the emotion there. We think of the fact that just suddenly her brain starts to, to click yeah, he said he was going to rise. It was predicted that he was going to be uh, crucified and, and risen again. But here, here he is. We know he was dead. We, we helped make sure that his body was taken off the cross and put into this grave. We know the grave is empty. We know the grave clothes are still there but deflated. But then she hears the name Mary and she says, Master. At the cross... Jesus took the power back. Jesus had given Lucifer power on this planet. And at the cross, he took that back. It says in Matthew 28, 20, uh, 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. A post-resurrection statement. He now has the power back. At the cross, that galactic battle, the spiritual battle that was happening was won. When they thought they had beat him, when they thought they had succeeded in crucifying the Messiah, they actually had accomplished God's plan for it was predicted. It was the plan of God for Jesus to be crucified, to pour out his blood, to be put into a tomb 
and then in three days to rise again. So he now has all the power. The last chapter has been written. I can stand here today and know, and say for sure that my dad and my grandfather are in heaven, even though they died and they took their last breath, angels were in the room. They put their trust in Jesus. They, they were good people, but that's not why they're in heaven. A lot of good people on this earth, but we still have sin. But because they realized as sinners they needed a savior and they put their trust in Jesus. The last chapter has been written for you. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved. And, and, and no demon and no, no angelic, uh, uh, plan can come against you. Colossians 1 and verse 13, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's the story of Easter, my friends. He has redeemed you through his blood. His blood, if you've put your trust in him, has stained the indictment against you and it's nailed to the cross. The cross, the focal point of humanity. The tomb. Without the tomb, we have nothing. Without the tomb, we're wasting our time. Without the tomb, without the resurrection, we're miserable people. But because of the resurrection, because Jesus is alive, death has been conquered. And you can know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt if you put your trust in Jesus Christ that you'll be saved today. And that won't ever change. You'll be a child of God. The Bible says that we're sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. My dad used to love to pull out his wallet. I don't have my wallet on me or I would use it, but I usually have my phone on me. All right. And if I had my wallet, it's, it's empty, by the way. Um with, with uh, my dear wife, Karen, with my kids and my grandkids, I'm usually um, pretty broke, okay? But it's okay, it's worth it. So let this, let this hand represent all of us, you and me. Uh, and the Bible says, let this represent sin. The Bible says we're all sinners, okay? Now, Jesus was sinless, and he came and died on a cross and was buried and rose again. And you are given an invitation. This is an invitation, not from me, but from God. If you will believe in him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, if you'll believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that great news? It's Easter. It's the story of the resurrection. It's the story of hope. It's the story, yeah, you're going to go through some tough times and there's going to be some sadness and some tears, but at the end of the day, he's going to say your name. And then once you put your trust in him, he has you. You say, well, what if I mess up? What if I, what if I trip up? What if I sin again? You're going to, but he has you in his all-powerful, almighty hand. You are saved, you are secure, you are born again. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. My dad's favorite verses, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you have never remembered a moment in your life when you've put your trust, your faith in Jesus and him alone, do it today. Do it today. Would you please bow?
as we close in prayer in just a moment. With your uh, eyes closed and your heads bowed, just before I pray, let me talk to you and ask you a question. You heard today from Scripture. You heard today the story of salvation. Has that made sense to you? If it has, and you want to be saved from hell to heaven, you want to be bought back by Jesus' blood, you want your indictment to be blotted out and nailed to the cross, you can say something like this in silent prayer to the God of heaven, right where you're sitting. I'm a sinner. Dear Lord, I can't save myself, but right now I believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died for my sins on the cross and rose again. It's that simple. And if you've made that decision, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you're saved today, tomorrow, and forever.